Who's a, all the parents in the room? I want all the parents in the room to stand up really quickly. All the parents. I heard God say during worship that he's bringing revival to families, but there is a specific well that he's building for your family. This isn't general. Revival isn't general. What does it look like amongst your kids, amongst your family, in your workplace? And there's a specific well for every family that God has designed. And so if you're a parent, your heart should be that your kids will grow up in a household of encountering God through the Word of God, through the Spirit of God, through dreams, through visions. Amen. So if you're a parent, lift up your hands. God, I thank you for a wells of revival in families in Jesus' name. We pull on the promises of heaven, Lord. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for children encountering the Lord through the covering of their parents, through the love of fathers and mothers. I thank you, God, for dreams and visions being released upon kids in Jesus' mighty name, that their feet shall be set in the concrete of the promises of God's word in Jesus' name. Lord, for those kids who don't know you, we claim them for the kingdom of God in Jesus' name. Father, release destinies, release visions, Lord, release to the kids a deep understanding of your call upon their lives in Jesus' mighty name. For the creative ones, God, I ask, inspire them, Holy Spirit. Give parents wisdom to interpret dreams. Give parents wisdom to lead their children in this time in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, church. Come on, church. Thank you, Lord. I thank you, God, for kids who are teenagers, Lord, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. And, Lord, they need to know your call and your destiny upon their life. God, I just declare over them the promises of heaven in Jesus' mighty name. For those kids who have been disappointed in God, who have been disappointed by, uh, by adults or by parents, God, we declare over them a spirit of faith and love filling their hearts in the mighty name of Jesus. Come on. And all the parents in the room... Gave a big amen. amen. Woo! It was, uh, I was praying with Liam the other day and I was, I was excited because he was getting excited and, and uh, it was a good prayer time. And I love prayer and I don't, I don't, every prayer is a good prayer. But can I encourage you, pray passionate prayers. Like, like, I know God, God honors prayer. And you don't always have to get passionate, that's okay. But some people pray wimpy prayers. And God's like, do you really want this or not? And so you need to get passionate about things, amen? We're going to go a little bit through the book of Ephesians today. Um, I love the book of Ephesians. It's, it's probably one of my favorite books because it reveals your identity in Christ it reveals the finished work of the cross. It reveals the purpose of the church. It reveals your position, how to walk in the world, how to see the world, and how to stand against the devil. Amen? Amen. The book of Ephesians is a great book. And uh, who knows that more often than not, right living comes out of right believing. And you can pray all you want. You can... Go and see all the amount of people you want to get help. But at the end of the day, the Lord is focused on the way you think, on your mind, on your thought life. And that's why you can have all of God in you, 
but see none of his kingdom come in your life. It's going to get a bit challenging today. I love you. And this is going to be a challenging sermon, amen, because I want you to grow, right? We need to grow. If everything in here is true, which I know it is, and you need to get to the point in your own life where there's a conviction in your heart that I'm going to believe this, if everything in this is true, then you have to say that maybe I need to shift some things in my life. Maybe there's some things I need to do a little bit differently to see this come forth in my life. Amen. To see the authority of the Word and the Spirit flow through me. Come on. And so right behavior comes out of right believing. So many people, we look at the verses in Scripture and who knows, there's a lot of do stuff. Right? There's a lot of do stuff in here. And the world sees all the do stuff. And the idea that Paul pulls out for us in Ephesians and in his letters and in the unveiling of Christ is that your doing stuff comes out of your being someone. Come on. So we read John 14, 12, which is one of my favorite scriptures. And Jesus says, uh, whoever believes in me, the same things they will do. And Jesus just wasn't talking about being a nice guy. Telling some funny jokes to your mates. I love being a nice guy and telling funny jokes. But he was talking about a little bit more than that. They will do the same things I will do and they will do even greater works because I go to be with my Father. Amen. Meaning I'm sending my Holy Spirit and it's a personal Jesus walking with you every single day. He's a personal Jesus. Amen. And then he says... and. Fit this into your theological grid right now. Think about all the prayers you've prayed. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me for anything in my name, I will do it. And immediately, most Christians would go to the fact that probably only 5% of my prayers have been answered in life. Right? This verse is a doing verse. It's a doing one. And if you approach these scriptures without a healthy identity in God, the doing verses will always produce disappointment in your life. And so you have to take this word and you have to say, okay, if I'm not seeing the fulfillment of this scripture in my life, It doesn't mean I have to work harder. It doesn't mean I have to be better. It doesn't mean I'm not a good Christian. It means that I have to get healthy in my identity. It means I have to go back to who I am in Christ Jesus and who God says I am because the doing flows out of your identity in Christ. Come on. And so what ends up happening is we take scriptures like this And we say, oh, I can do the same works as Jesus and even greater. And we take scriptures like that and we're not seeing it. And so we begin to interpret it out of our own lack and unbelief. And that's where you get demonic doctrines like cessationism and dispensationalism that would say 
that the gifts of the Spirit, the power of God, the moving of the Spirit died with the apostles. It was for those times and not today. And because we're not seeing it today, then we have to come up with an explanation for why God isn't moving. Rather than going back to the Word of God, come on, and saying, I need to go back to the finished work of the cross, to who Jesus says I am, to what the Lord has done, and begin to live out of it. Amen? Amen. It's a bad idea to get to interpret what the Lord is doing and, and get your theology out of your own unbelief and lack. Amen? So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Are you ready today? Come on. Born ready. Praise be to God, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to God and to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. I've heard people say, well, that blessing is just for when you get to heaven, and that is not what Paul is saying. He says, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in in Christ. It's spiritual so you won't lose it. Because God is spirit. Amen? He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, in him, did you get that? In God, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, in accordance with the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he has made known to us the mystery of his will to his good pleasure, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. That's a pretty rich scripture, rich passage, isn't it? You could memorize that one and you'd be doing well. So Paul starts it with everything that Jesus has done for you. Everything Jesus has done for you. You're blessed, amen? You're freely favored, Right? You don't have to earn God's favor or blessing. So when I say blessed, people think, well, what's God's blessing? Well, read what God did through the life of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Read all the blessings that came that he promised to Israel. And those are the blessings of God. And God says, they are yours. And it starts in the spirit. And so if I partner with God by faith, what comes from my spirit will flow out of me. Amen? He says, I'm holy and blameless, adopted into sonship. That means, when you see sonship in Scripture, that means inheritance. So everything that Jesus inherits as the Son, you inherit because you're in Him. Right? So not everything Jesus inherits as God you inherit because we're not God. Right? But that's why Jesus, that's why there is a man in the Trinity, 
so that everything Jesus has inherited as a man, as the Son of God, you inherit. The riches of God's grace has been lavished upon you. You've been redeemed through the blood of Jesus and heaven and earth has been brought to unity through Jesus in you. He is Jacob's ladder. So Paul, he starts it all with the fact that we live from a place of rest. Amen? Your life starts when you put your faith in Jesus. It starts with the reality that you are seated in Christ. That's the language Paul uses. So we live from this place of rest. I don't have to work harder. I don't have to try and be a better Christian. All this stuff I already have. I'm living from this reality, seated in Christ. I start with a place of, in that place of rest. So as Adam was created on the sixth day, right? And on the seventh day, God rested. The first time Adam was introduced to God, it was, a day, it was on the day of rest. Amen? And so we live out of the spiritual position that I am in a place of rest with the Lord. And too many people are trying to strive to get God to do things and if you just shifted the way you thought a little bit, you would realize that maybe God's already done some things and now I can take authority upon what he's already done. Come on. Come on. So Paul uses the term redemption in Ephesians a lot. Redemption. In verse 7, we've been redeemed. I want you to think about this because he's using certain language. He's using the language... Of, um, of when you redeem a slave, okay? And so when you think of the work of Jesus on the cross, there's a few things that we see uh, are types in the Old Testament. Are you okay if I get a little bit teachy today? Or I feel like maybe I need to pump people up some more, but I'm a bit tired this morning, so. Uh, so you look two times in the Old Testament that are a prophetic picture of what Jesus did on the cross, right? Or, or in terms of what God did with the nation of Israel. Number one is he brought them out of Egypt, of slavery in Egypt, right? And number two, he brought them out of exile in Babylon in about 590 BC. So who knows that Israel were in Babylon because of their own fault? That was sin, Right? And so the aspect to the cross is that there's the forgiveness of sin, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and we need forgiveness. But Paul is not talking about this in verse 7. He's talking about redemption. And who knows that when Israel was in slavery to Egypt in Exodus chapter 1, they go into slavery. Who knows it wasn't their fault? But they still needed redemption. They needed to be purchased. They needed to be brought out of slavery. Every single person is born into the world and they're born into Adam's sin, the first Adam. It's not their fault, but they still need redemption. They need to encounter God. They need salvation. They need spiritual deliverance in their life. And that's why God sees only two people upon the earth. Did you know that? 
He either sees people in the old Adam or he sees them in the last Adam, Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul will always use the language in Scripture that you are in Christ, right? You're in Christ because you carry his very nature and that is who you are. Amen? So Israel, they were bought from slavery. They were redeemed. God delivered them out of Egypt. I want you to think about how he did that. He, Moses uh, came into Egypt as the deliverer and God defeated 10 principalities, 10 gods in Egypt that God defeated, right? So that's why God comes in and when you think about things like, well, why did the firstborn have to die? Why did God come in and kill all the firstborns with the angel of death? Because the Egyptians worshipped a god called Ra, the sun god Ra, and he was the god of creation. He was the god of life. And so God was coming in and he was showing that Ra isn't God, he's a demonic idol, and I am the king and the creator of life. And so God comes in and we know that the Passover lamb brought, they, they, they killed the lamb, put the blood on the door, and it purchased redemption. So the angel passed over and all the Israelites were delivered out of Egypt. It was the last miracle for God to perform for them to be brought out of bondage from Pharaoh, right? And so they come out of Egypt completely delivered. Do you know that they plundered the Egyptians? They gave them all their gold and silver. And probably one of the greatest healing testimonies was that there was no sick or feeble among them. About a couple million, of, couple million people. That's incredible. And it's because they'd eaten of the Passover lamb the night before who was the picture of Jesus Christ, crucified and resurrected for us, a picture of communion. Amen. And so we are redeemed. We're taken out of slavery. You're taken out of the kingdom of darkness and you're brought into the kingdom of the son whom he loves. You're brought into the kingdom of God. That is your identity. There has been a spiritual deliverance in your life. So Paul says in Romans 6, 6, he says that their old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with so that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Do you get that word slavery? So that you'll no longer be slaves to sin. You have been completely set free. There has been a spiritual deliverance in your life. But who knows that when God delivered Israel out of Egypt that they still thought like slaves in the wilderness. And the problem for a lot of believers today is we think we're stuck in spiritual bondage, but the reality is, is God has delivered you, but you're still thinking like a slave rather than a son. Come on. And so we're wandering around in the wilderness thinking, God, where are you? God, what are you doing? And really, we're not, we, we've been delivered from Egypt but Egypt's still in here. So Paul talks about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he says, May the Lord keep you blameless, spirit, soul, and body. 
So the way God has designed you is that you have a spirit, you have a soul, and you have a body, right? And so when you're born again, God comes into your spirit. You become a brand new creation, right? But your soul doesn't become a brand new creation. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, but your body stays the same. And so that's why Paul always says, be led by the Spirit. In other words, your soul needs to be renewed. And many people get stuck like the Israelites in their soul. And many of us, we get stuck in our thinking towards God. And we get stuck in our believing. And the whole layout of Ephesians that Paul talks about is he says that this is your identity... This is what has happened in your spirit, man. You've become brand new. Amen. God lives in you. But now you need to think like it. In Ephesians 1.17, he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. One of the greatest prayers that Paul prayed was a prayer that you would get what you already have right? God puts these things in scripture for a reason. And we're often praying prayers like, God, I need you to move here. I need you to heal this person. I need you to change this person, Lord. And Paul, his prayer is that your eyes would be enlightened, that the Holy Spirit would give you wisdom and revelation so that you would know God better. And everyone's like, oh, that's an average prayer. (laughs) It's not what I need at the moment, Lord. It's not what I need at the moment. The whole reason this is important is because we need to know the death, the resurrection, the finished work of the cross, and the ascension of Jesus. And if there is an issue in my life where I need the kingdom of God to show up, I need to know the finished work of the cross. I need to know the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus. When Paul uses the language in Scripture that you need to put on Christ, I want you to think about this. He's using it in, the terms, in terms of a mindset. 
he's using it in terms of you were taught, listen to this, Ephesians 4.22. Help me where to go, Lord. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted in its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds. And to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So Paul isn't talking here about there's a big issue in your life and you're behaving this way, you're thinking this way or you're doing this because there is an issue in your spirit. He's not talking about that. When he says, put on Christ, he's talking about the way you think. He's talking about the way you believe. Am I thinking and believing in my day according to the kingdom of heaven and according to what God thinks? And so he says, because God has done all of this in your life, because you are seated in Christ, it's time to think like it. And he says it's time to put on Christ. And then he says, put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That word put on is the Greek word in duo. So I'm not putting on something externally. I'm not getting up in the morning and it's like I have to put my Jesus suit on. That's right. He's talking about Sinking into. The Greek word enduo, you can interpret that as, seek, as sinking into. So when you wake up in the morning, you are sinking in to the reality of who Christ is within you. And that's why Paul always says, rest in the finished work of the cross. Sit back, relax, because you're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Begin to rest. Begin to sink back into your identity. Begin to sink into the reality of Christ in you. He's in you. He's in your spirit. And there's like a wall there for a lot of people. And you just have to crack it open. And that may require a bit of praise. That may require a bit of thanksgiving. That may require you to push through in the morning to pass the spiritual apathy of the day past status quo Christianity and say, I'm going to grab a hold of this thing. I'm going to do what it says I can do because I'm going to live out of who God says I am. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Amen, sister. So God comes to Gideon and it's an amazing example in the Old Testament. He comes to Gideon and he says to Gideon, don't, don't say it before I say it, then it just ruins the punchline. He says, Gideon, you mighty warrior. And Gideon, he's in the threshing floor, he's hiding from the Midianites, he's scared, he's worried. He's looking at his life and thinking, well, this is what I'll do for the rest of my life, stuck 
in this huge silo thing that he would do it in and, uh, and working away in the closet. And God comes to him and God says, you mighty warrior, because for Gideon to deliver a nation, there needs to be a deliverance in him of his identity. And God has a big call on Gideon, just as he does on every single person in this room. But for you to function in that call, there needs to be a shift in the way you think and the way you believe and what you know God's done within you. And so God comes to Gideon and he says, you mighty warrior. So that is a great understanding of what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. He is convicting you of Ephesians 1. He's convicting you of everything that God has done for you, that you are a brand new creation in Christ Jesus, that you can do what Jesus did. Let that verse become a prophecy in your life. Let John 14 become a prophecy in your life rather than a disappointment. And so he comes to Gideon and he's telling Gideon who he is. And who knows the first thing that he got Gideon to do? He got Gideon to tear down the family idols, the Baal altar that had been set up where he was living. Who knows that Gideon would have been a part of building that. And his family had built an altar to Baal, who was a fertility god, who they would worship. And the very first thing that God gets Gideon to do is he says, you need to go and tear down this demonic altar of worship to the god Baal because there needs to be deliverance from this before you can lead people into deliverance. And who knows that that's a picture in your life that we build altars of lies that we grab a hold of and God says you need to tear those down in your life if you want to see this come forth in your life. Come on. People build altars of lies every single day and you sacrifice your future upon it. It's true. We build altars of lies in our heart that we then sacrifice our future upon. Baal was a fertility god, which meant you sacrificed children to him physically. That's what they would do. And we sacrifice the promises of the Lord on our life because we're believing the wrong thing. And some people, you're holding on to the pain of your past and you don't want to let go and it's become an idol in your life and you're wondering why God isn't moving in your life. Yeah. I said, I love you. This is challenging, but I love you. Some of us carry altars of lies of things people have spoken over us. Some of us carry uh, lies of well, I stepped out in faith in God and he didn't come through and God, now I'm angry and I'm disappointed with you. And we build these altars in our hearts, right? We all do it. You build an altar in your heart and then you hold on to it. And like Gideon, God is saying that you actually need to rip that thing down, baby. Come on. Come on. It's time to be a little bit hard on yourself. And it's time to say, no, no, this thing has to get out of my thinking, my believing, 
because the Lord wants me to bring deliverance to my family. He wants me to see his kingdom come in my workplace. He wants me to break through status quo Christianity and to say I'm not going to settle for anything less than what God has called me and the bride of Christ to be. Come on. We're almost done for those who are having chicken for lunch. Yeah. I didn't come with a lot of jokes today, sorry, so I had to ad live on a few. Normally I stick a few in just to make people feel better because I get too passionate and then, yeah, anyway. Ephesians 5.1. Now we get to follow God's example, right? Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up, gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Look at verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. That's a good, good revelation, isn't it? Find out what pleases the Lord. So now Paul puts all the doing verses after the being verses. He explains everything you are, And then he says, once you know all that you are, all this comes naturally to you. Follow the example of Jesus who died for us. Love people in that way. Who knows only that type of love can only come out of a heart that is deeply, deeply, deeply surrendered to the Lord. And that only comes out of knowing all that who Jesus is and he's created you to be. What Paul is saying here is he's saying that now that God's done all this for you, you don't have a right to look at your world and yourself the way you want to anymore. You don't have that right because you've been purchased by the blood of the Lamb. Now, God's done all this for you. You don't have a right to look at the world the way you want to anymore. We need to look at the world according to the kingdom of God. I wrote too many notes today and problem with too many notes, Simon, is you, you don't know where to go. <laughs> Come on. So in, in, in Matthew chapter 14, verse 17, Jesus preached, repent because the kingdom of God is at hand, right? The reason he said that 
is because you need to repent. <laughs> Woo! Come on, Lord. You need to think differently because God can take your situation and turn it around in a moment. He can turn a Saul into a Paul. He can take a meal and feed 5,000 with it. He can take someone who's sick and heal them. He can take your kid and shift them in a whole day through a radical encounter with Jesus Christ. He can deliver you in a moment. I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen people delivered in 10 minutes from 10 years of pain and suffering. And so Jesus comes and he says, you need to repent because my kingdom is not your kingdom. My kingdom functions in a different way and moves in a different way and thinks in a different way and you need to get in line with it. Come on. You need to become a soldier in the kingdom of God and you need to see life differently now. You need to... The, the followers of Jesus, you don't have a right to think the way you want to anymore. And there are too many Christians, you get saved and you've been living in the Lord for 10, 20 and 30 years and you're still thinking the same as you were 30 years ago. Your mind should be renewed day by day by day by day by day. Amen? As Smith Wigglesworth said, I'm not the same today as I was yesterday. Why? Because he'd been renewed in the spirit of his mind. God's kingdom is not of this world. And I'm very thankful for that because God can sweep in in a moment and take little old you and use you to touch a hundred people's lives. Peter, James, John, and the disciples were living a great life with Jesus, and then he died. And this is what often happens in our lives, is we see a little bit of God move, and then we settle, and we think, well, this must just be the way the Christian life is. And these disciples, what happens when we do that is we go back to an old way of living, which is what Paul calls the old man. And we go back to an old way of thinking. And the disciples in John 21, perfect timing, they, they come out onto the, the sea, they're going fishing because that's all they know to do. That's what they did before Jesus was there. And they come out onto the sea and they're fishing and they're fishing And Jesus comes to them in John 21 and he's on the land and he says such a Jesus thing. He says, cast your net on the right side of the boat. They'd been catching nothing all night. Now, any good fisherman would know you quit. I'd quit after about an hour or two. They've been fishing all night and Jesus, the word of the Lord comes. Praise God for the word of the Lord. Cast your net on the right-hand side of the boat. They catch 153 fish and then realize, oh, maybe 
maybe Jesus is right and maybe this is the Lord and, and John says it's God <laughs> as, you, as you would hope you would say if you caught that many fish and then they sing Kumbaya with Jesus at the campfire the net in scripture is always a picture of your mindset Jesus says, cast your net on the right-hand side of your boat. That probably only changed about three metres within the water, right? The right-hand side is a picture of sonship. We are seated at the right hand of Jesus Christ, of God, amen, in Christ Jesus. What God does in our life is he comes to us and he says, you've been catching nothing, cool. You actually don't need to do anything differently. You need to think differently. You need to cast your net on the right-hand side of the boat. When you cast your net on the right-hand side, you'll catch fish. When you live from a place of sonship, from a place of rest, from a place of being seated with Christ and in Christ, you'll actually begin to see fruit in your life. And there's one thing that I've learned. It's that if I'm not seeing fruit, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to let the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, teach me. I'm going to get into this thing because I need to live on the right-hand side of the boat. Your situation doesn't need to change. You need to change. Some people want a new job. Some people want a new family. Your situation doesn't need to change. You need to change through the word of the Lord. Amen. The kingdom of God is here. It's time to think differently and believe differently. It's time to walk out of all that God has created you to be. And so why don't you stand? Let's pray. And I was, I was looking at God, what God was hitting on, and I felt like for people, just what I was saying at the end there, the situations you're in, things you're facing, and you're hitting your head against the wall, And God's saying, let truth pierce your mind. Let truth pierce your heart. So Father, I pray for everyone today. God, I thank you for your spirit of wisdom and revelation in this place. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're the spirit of truth. And so I pray, Lord, that people would begin to see how you see, that eyes of faith would come upon their hearts right now in Jesus' name, that people would begin to live out of the overflow of the presence of God in their lives. Father, I thank you that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. 
I thank you for the power of your blood, Jesus. I thank you for your broken body, Lord. I thank you for your kingdom here in this place. And I pray, Father, that there would be an outbreaking of your kingdom in people's lives today. In Jesus' name. That there would be an outbreak of healing in people's lives. Father, for people who have been disappointed in things that they've believed about you because they haven't seen it, I declare a spirit of faith coming upon your life this week. In Jesus' name. I thank you, God, that as you came to Gideon and you taught him who he is, Holy Spirit, come into people's lives. Teach them how to undo years and years and years of wrong thinking and wrong theology. That would be a dangerous prayer to pray for people in a good way. We thank you for that, Father. Yeah, I just believe um, as we're standing, just remain standing in this place. Um, Dean, I'm going to keep you up here for a moment. I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh, I just, just from hearing that word today, I know there may be some of you that you've heard this so many times and you need to speak it over yourself again. There could be some of you that this is the first or you've only heard it a couple times, the, the, the power and this importance of who you are, where you're seated that um, you have a new mind in, in Christ, that you're a new creation. And um, I just believe we just need to speak like a few declarations of truth over yourself corporately of, of who we are because I just believe there's significance and power of just speaking that over ourselves. Um, so, Dean, if you can just lead us in a, in a few statements of who we are in Christ and everyone just to repeat after him. And uh, after that, if you feel like you would need, you'd like some prayer, uh, feel free to come up um, for prayer. And we also have the Jesus Night um, on tonight, uh, 5:30 here. Um, if you can make that, but let's speak these um, a few declarations over ourselves. Awesome. God, I declare I'm righteous. God, I declare, I declare I'm righteous. Lord, I declare that I'm a weapon in the spirit. Lord, I declare I'm a weapon in the spirit. God, I thank you that you train my hands for battle. God, I thank you that you train my hands for battle. God, I thank you that I'm created to live like Jesus. God, I thank you that I'm created to live like Jesus. God, I thank you that I live in your word. God, I thank you that I live in your word. God, I thank you that the blood of Jesus lives within me. God, I thank you that the blood of Jesus lives within me. God, I thank you that every situation I'm facing... Get it? God, Go on. I thank you that every situation I'm facing... I overcome... I overcome... By the blood of the Lamb... By the blood of the Lamb... And the word... And the word of the testimony of the testimony of the risen King of the risen King Jesus Christ Jesus Christ come on <laughs> Amen come on <laughs> Woo. thanks Dean.
Let me just close in prayer. We just thank you, Father, for this morning. We bless your name. We just thank you for what you're doing in this place, that you just seal the work that you're doing on our hearts, Lord. And as we step into this week, Lord, help us just to stand in that place of knowing who we are and how you see us, Lord, and that we would bring transformation in in where we are and where we go, Lord. Just bless us this week. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.